0: Father, I thank you so much for gathering us here this morning, giving us the opportunity, Lord, to come together, to hear your word, to fellowship, to give you praise and worship. We thank you, God, for that opportunity. We ask, oh God, and ask that your Holy Spirit descend in this place and be amongst us, Father God. Speak to us. Speak through me, God. Use me as a tool and as a utensil to bless your children, Father God, to just give them the word that it is you want them to hear, and the word that it is you want them to keep in their hearts, O God. We come against every distraction, every spirit, O God, that the enemy sets forth in here to just turn our minds and our hearts away from your word away from tuning into you god we pray and ask that again you will be here you will solidify us god in your word and you will help us oh god to keep things in our hearts so that when we leave we can apply it in everyday usage of our life we thank you so much in the name of jesus we pray amen so i don't really have a title to this message or anything like that i just you know, I've kind of, in my own walk and in my own faith, I've kind of been struggling with a lot of different things. A lot of different questions have come up. And mind you, I'm 26, I've been a Christian for the majority of my life. But I think it just goes to show that even at this point or this stage in your life, You can have a lot of questions come up um, and you can just you can you can just be in a very, very interesting position. So I've been there several times and um, my prayer to God was that he would just lead me through the word, like help me to get answers, because nowadays. Like, there's a lot of false teachers. Nowadays, there's a lot of misinformation, especially when you try to go online or when you try to go on, like, social media platforms. So for me, it was more a prayer of, like, God, I just want the truth. I want... I I just want whatever is authentic, right? And the answer to that is always in the scripture, right? There's... It's open to a lot of interpretation, but when you pray for the Holy Spirit to really lead you and direct you, he will take you right to the source. And so... This morning, I opened up my Bible, and the first thing that came up was 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And so that's what I'm going to be preaching on. Um, If you guys have your Bibles with you, let's open it up, and I'll just read it, and I'll go along um, some of the points for us to take home, and then we'll wrap up for today. So again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When you guys are there, say amen. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Are we there? Okay. All right, so 1 Corinthians, the book of Corinthians was written by Paul, and he's writing specifically to one of the churches um, named Corinth, And this this particular passage, I mean, all of I think the Bible is um, is relatable and we can take a lot of different references from it and apply it to our own lives. So that's just what I'm doing with this scripture. And I think it's really significant because it spoke to me as I read it. And um, the Holy Spirit, like, gave me a lot of discernment and understanding and how to apply this scripture to our life. Um, And that's the other big thing that I want you guys to remember is that when when we as your teachers come up here and we preach or or we share the word of God with you, a lot of times it's us also just like trying to keep up with this information so that we can live holy lives as well. In other words, like everything that I'm doing today is not just preaching at you. This is a message for me, too. And in fact, this message came directly to me and I'm just feeling like sharing it with you guys. Amen. So the title of, in my, I'm reading the New Living Translation in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's titled Lessons from Israel's Idolatry, and this is Paul speaking to the church of Corinth. He says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. Verse 2. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Let's just stop there, because that's really, really important, okay? We're talking, Paul, Paul is referencing um, an era and a group of people, granted this was before Christ, right? But they were walking and they were moving according to the promises that God had for the Israelites, okay? So naturally, they would have all kind of been in this sphere, in this bubble where they're covered by God. They're led by Moses and they're given instructions on how to live and how to operate. And so the Bible says here that they were all guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground, right? That's pretty miraculous, okay? And I think what Paul is trying to like make clear to us is that we're, we're talking like, I mean, I can't tell you a number, but thousands of people, if not millions of people, who are moving sort of in this group, right? God's chosen people, they're given a promise, and they're moving towards this promised land. And God is taking them through to this place, this destination, all while performing signs and miracles, right, because of course they walk through the sea on dry, um, dry ground. Um, in the cloud and in the sea, that of are baptized as followers of Moses. So being baptized as followers of Moses, in other words, just confirming that these are God's people. Moses is the person that God called to lead them, and they're followers of Moses. So they're moving forward, um, heading towards the promised land. The Bible says that they drank the same spiritual water, they ate the same spiritual food, and um, they, they and the rock that was um, the rep- representing Christ is the rock that they moved with, right, but the significance here is at the end of that scripture, the Bible says that God was not pleased with most of them right, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, okay so it kind of like begs the question like how is it that a group of people right that God has anointed, right? Or a group of people who are moving according to this kind of like this 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 promise, this goal, right? This objective that God has for these people. How is it that the majority of them God is not pleased with, right? And moreover, the Bible says that they're scattered in the wilderness, right? Now that could mean that they like all died in the wilderness or that they just kind of spread and there were no more collective group, right? Whatever that interpretation is for you guys. I think the main thing, at least from this part of the scripture, is for us to remember as a body of Christ, as a body of believers, right? There are a lot of us who come to church. There are a lot of us who read our Bibles. There are a lot of us who pray to God. There are a lot of us who may even be anointed. We may even you know, drink the, the, the juice that represents the blood of Christ and, and break the bread. There are a lot of us who partake in this thing. And we are part of this really large group of what the Bible calls believers or Christians that are moving towards this optimum goal, which is to be reunited with Christ or to be in heaven, right? But I I don't think that it's, it's hard for us to like understand based on this scripture that that Paul is telling us a lot, a lot of that, a lot of the people in that group. Right. A lot of us. Right. God is not pleased with. Right. And I just have to keep it real because this again, this was this was the message to me. And this was this is what I had been praying for God to really kind of open my eyes so that I could understand, right? Just because we come here, just because we do praise and worship, just because we pray, just because we do those things doesn't mean that God is pleased with us, guys. And that's like really important for us to understand because I think sometimes, especially as young people, we have like the wrong idea of like who God even is, like like what his character is like or what he requires from us. Right. And several Sundays ago, I gave a preaching and I gave a sermon about what some of those characteristics are. Right. And how we do put ourselves in a position um, where we're pleased with God, uh, where God is pleased with us rather. But I think what I want you guys to remember and I want you guys to hold on to as we continue to move here is like, just because we're here physically in this room, doesn't mean we're good and it doesn't mean that God is pleased with us okay and if God is not pleased with us that means we have to like kind of do some like internal review in our own lives in our hearts in our minds our spirits and try to figure out like where am I falling short as a believer right where is it am I am I lacking and why is it that God may not be pleased with me only you can answer that question but it's something that I want you guys to think about so let's continue Verse six says, these things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry and we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. So Paul is being a little bit more specific here in this next text, right? We're talking about a really group of people, right? in a lot of different ways to represent the modern body of Christ or believers in these times, right? And you know, Paul is warning them about what happened to the Israelites, right? Just because they were descendants of Abraham, just because they are descendants of Jesus Christ himself, just because they were given a promise to enter the promised land doesn't mean that they all made it or doesn't mean that God was all pleased with them, right? Specifically, the Bible says that some of them craved evil things, right? And amongst those things, It included sexual immorality, right? And idolatry, right? Those are two big things that I think still is a problem for believers today, two main things, right? There's a lot of other issues that we as believers struggle with, but idolatry, right? We talked about that a little bit last time. I'll go into it a little bit more today. And um, sexual immorality, okay? Very, very broad topic, and I won't go too much into that. But idolatry, a lot of people dismiss it because they think and they believe, you know, that I- idolatry looks like what it looked like over 2,000 years ago. There's a golden calf, and we worship it, and we we submit, like, we, we, we sacrifice animals, and we submit it to the calves, and we pray and we worship this, this, this idol, right? But... We don't have golden calves, right? Idolatry looks a lot different to us today, but nonetheless, it still exists, okay? The idea of idolatry is just the idea that there is something that you value or that you cherish or that you put over God, right? Because God is supposed to be that supreme being that we worship, right? And an idol is anything that we put in place of God, anything that we value, anything that we cherish, anything that we hold more dear than we do of God. Right. And a lot of us will not will not be able to open our mouths and vocalize that and be like, oh, yeah, like there's something that I think is that I I put higher in my life than God. But all you have to do is just take a step back and just like. Like look at your life or look at like your day, for instance, right? Look at what your day-to-day activities look like or think about like what is it that consumes you the most? For some of us, it's social media, right? And that's a big one. A lot of people don't realize that we have become idols to social media, right? And not just the specific social media apps. But but maybe there's a particular musician or an artist or an influencer, right, that we are like so consumed with, that we love, that that person has been our main focus. And without even realizing it, the person that we worship, right? Because all worship is is just revering, Right honoring or glorifying something, right? And, and and I don't want you guys to be like freaked out, but we serve a God who is extremely jealous. And when it comes to idolatry, that is something that he does not play with, right? Do not put anything over our God, our maker, right? And that just means like for us, like on a very practical note, right? That means that we cannot consume like like 60% of our day on our computers or on our phones, right? Because if we can't take that same energy and apply it to the word of God or apply it to our relationship with God, then 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 you don't have to open your mouth and tell me that you don't have idols, right? Like Holy Spirit can just look at you and evaluate your life and see that you are practicing idolatry in some form or another, right? Not intentionally, right? And it's not meant to be like, oh, gotcha, right? It's just meant to open your eyes so that you can understand what you're doing, right? Because here you are just like pushing follow or here you are just like commenting on one thing But on the other side, right, the particular influencer, right, that you follow, they're trying to put themselves in a position where they gain as much followers as possible. They get all the likes. They get all the comments, right? It's very synonymous to the things that we should be doing with our maker, the things that we should be doing with God. God, we love you. God, we glorify you. God, you're beautiful. God, you're this. God, you're that. And instead, we just sit on our phones and we scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and that somehow becomes a form of idolatry in our lives without us realizing it, right? And it's so dangerous and so detrimental to us as believers because whatever it is that you feed the most is what will grow, right? Whatever you do not feed is what will die. So if we're feeding all of our attention, all of our time and all these social media accounts, guys, let's be real. Sometimes even some Netflix series that we're like really into, right? Things that we do, that we place over, that we put in terms of value over God, right? And I'm saying this, it may sound a little exaggerated, but it's just for you to take and apply to your own life, right? Some of you are not even on social media. For some of you, it's like gaming, right? For some of you, it's Netflix, it's Hulu, whatever it is, right? We're young we're impressionable, right? That means the things that we see, the things that we hear, the things that we expose ourselves to, right? Is, is, it has an impact on us in one way or another. We may not realize it now, but as we get older, we'll realize how much those things impact us. And if the majority of your time, the majority of your energy and your efforts are spent towards these things, then your spirit, right? Your soul, the things that do need to be fed, the things that do need to be equipped, right? Eventually just become very feeble, becomes very weak, right? And we're unable then to combat the things, the temptations that come around us, right? Primarily, right? Sexual immorality, right? So how many of you guys are in sixth grade? Anybody in sixth grade? Okay. Anybody in seventh grade? Anybody in 8th grade? Anybody in ninth grade? 10th grade? 11th grade? Okay. All right. Great. So you guys are just, you're in that like centralized, like target audience, right? Because again, you're young and you're impressionable. And sex appeal is everywhere, everywhere you go, every advertisement, every, everything, right? You'll just see it there. And sexual immorality is one of those sins, guys, that, um, that, that is really harmful, really dangerous to so many different parts of you, not only as a believer, but as a person, right? And at this early age, if you can develop kind of like a wall, right? Or a mechanism to hold yourself back from engaging in sexual immorality, then you're really going to be doing yourself a favor, right? Because sexual morality is one of those big things that also separates us from God, right? Like, let's not, l- let's not be like, let's not sugarcoat it, right? The Bible makes it very clear that homosexuality is not to be, not to be played with, right? Like, God is far, 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 far away from those things. I know that we live in a time and we live in an era that, like, tries to be really inclusive and tries to make everybody feel like they can be who they want and love who they want. And it's okay to respect those people's wishes, but it's not okay as believers to co-sign to those things, right? Like, understand what your stance is because you understand what God's stance is on that sort of thing. It's, It's categorized as sexual immorality, right? Pornography is a really, really big thing that really has, I think, crippled a lot of people in our generation, right? It's so readily available, it's so accessible, and yet it's so damaging people don't realize it, right? That is part of the whole sexual immorality umbrella, right? because again you're opening yourself you're opening your eyes you're opening your ears to things that are not clean and things that are not holy and the more that we do that the more we distance ourselves from god so it doesn't matter right how how many times you come to church it doesn't matter how many times you open your bible it doesn't matter how many maverick city hillsong songs that you play and sing and worship to if your life right is one where you're living in filth, right? You're separating yourself from God, right? And I'm not saying that while we're sort of living in our sins that we can't pursue the things that will help us, right? Help feed our spirit, but I just mean that you can't try to you, you can't try to do both, right? And think that you're going to be okay, right? Because the Bible makes it clear here what Paul is trying to tell, the church of Corinth is that there is a whole group of Israelites, right? who were covered, right? Covered, they moved with Moses, right? They were covered literally by the hand of God and yet still God scattered them and yet still God wasn't pleased with them, right? the standard, like I said last time, guys, is really, really high, right? And it's not meant to be high so that we can't reach it. It's meant to be high so that we understand how holy our God is, right? It's meant to be high so that we understand, like, how filthy we are as believers and how much work it takes as believers, like, to day in and day out die to your flesh and to really pursue the things of God, because the moment that you step out there, it's a war for your life, it's a war for your your spirit, it's a war for your soul, and unfortunately, the devil is winning, right, the devil is winning, because the Bible already makes it clear that that very wide are those gates, that a lot of people are going to find them, and probably a lot of believers, right, but narrow, are the gates that lead to God. narrow are the gates that lead to heaven. Why? Because it is a very challenging thing to do, but I believe that the church is designed to make sure that we are aware of these things, right? Not to make us feel good and feel like, oh yeah, God loves me. I'm gonna do great. He's gonna help me on this test and everything is great. I can live however I want. No, right? Ultimately, we're, we're here to live a life that's going to prepare us for eternity. And what does that mean? That means day in and day out, we're making those choices. We're, we're setting an example, right? And we're showing our God and our maker that we have repented, right? That we have made that 360 degree change, right? So that we can walk towards him and turn our backs towards the world, right? So let's just continue. Verse nine, it says, nor should we put Christ to the test. Okay, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. Now, verse nine is very interesting because Paul is basically just saying, like, amongst sexual sexual immorality and idolatry, you shouldn't also try to put God to the test, right? And and the way that we do that this day, these days, is that. You know we know that we're believers we know that we're christians we know that we have praying mothers maybe you know kevin is praying for you you know maybe you feel like okay i'm good like i'm, I'm good i'm covered right and so you rely on that covering to rescue you or protect you and you decide to go out and live recklessly right that that's that's putting god to the test like the bible makes it very clear here that it didn't end well for them. It ended in steak bites, the Bible says, that killed them, right? So when you go out and you try to live a life that's very contrary to the word of God only because you know that Christ died for your sins and you're protected and your soul, like it doesn't work like that, right? You will still deal with the consequences of your actions and of your decisions. God can take it and he can redirect your life and heal you and use it ultimately for your good but it doesn't remove or eradicate, right, the punishments that's due to us when we decide to make bad decisions, right? When we decide to, say, drink excessively or smoke excessively or fornicate, right, or, or do certain things that, like, is going to be very damaging or very harmful to us, right? But we expect God to just cover us because we're believers, we're Christians. It just doesn't work that way, right? And it can't work that way because it's a slap in the face, right, to Christ who came and died for our sins so that we could have the chance to be like, look, all right, I've been doing this wrong for X amount of years. I've been living recklessly for X amount of years. I've been worshiping other things without me even realizing it. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying for me so that I have the opportunity to now do it right, okay? So let's continue. Verse 10 says, and don't grumble as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us, who live, who, to warn us who live at the end of the age. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful; He will not allow the temptation to be more then you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Verse 14, so my friends, flee from the worship of idols. Excuse me, you are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifices at the altar? Why, what am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think we are stronger than He is? So I'll just pause there. Same sort of thing, just reiterating what I was saying about idolatry, right? And then more so about that sort of like dual living, right? Where we think that because we're believers, we think that because we're Christians, we wear that hat, right? That we're we're good and and that it's okay for us to consciously decide to go out and make bad decisions. Guys, like if that's how you're living, I I really want to encourage you to take Take some time today or take some time this week and really pray for God to remove you from that, right? Because it's not going to end well for you, right? The Bible says you might as well be hot or cold for him, right? And it can't be the both, right? And there's a difference, right? Because there there are people who struggle with certain things. There are people who struggle with certain temptations. And, of course, we all fall, right? We're never going to be perfect, right? But as long as we are pursuing, right, it's the pursuit, right, it's our hearts that have completely turned to Christ, being mindful of the things that are trying to tempt us, the things that are trying to separate us from God, right? It's that pursuit and that knowledge that we have to keep so near and dear to our hearts so that when we do fall, we know immediately to go to God. We know immediately to pray and ask for him to help us in this walk, okay? I'm going to continue. You say I'm allowed to do anything. This is verse 23. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. This is a very common, commonly quoted um, Bible verse. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really important, guys, especially in this day and age, that we understand that there are a lot of things that might not be considered a sin, right? So maybe you have, like, a gay friend who is having a party or something like that. And you're like, I'm not going to do anything at this party. I'm not going to, like, go smoke my brains out. I'm not going to get drunk or wasted. Like You're like, I'm not going to sin at this party. But you have to kind of ask yourself, based on what the scripture is saying here, like, like is this going to benefit me in any way? Right And then, really, at the end of the scripture, it says don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others, so not only is this going to benefit me, but is this going to somehow harm anybody right in this way? And I ask myself those questions a lot because you may not be thinking about the the other believer or somebody else who's walking so closely with Christ who maybe looks up to you or looks to you as sort of the representation of what Christianity looks like or what it means to be a Christian and so when they see you partaking or engaging in certain things maybe it kind of confuses them and it trips up their walk right not that you're responsible for their salvation but the Bible says that we do need to be mindful of the things that might be harmful to them right though we're not maybe directly sinning it's not really benefiting us right we know already that the enemy is really tactful right and he's very deceptive, right? And so those little things that you think are nothing, right? That it's not going to be harmful or it's not going to affect you in any way. The enemy is already plotting and he's already trying to figure out a way how to use that party or how to use that friend or how to use that seemingly innocent thing to trip you up, right? And when it trips you up, it becomes very difficult then for you to stay on track or to get back on course with god because all you want to do is just like wallow in your guilt wallow in your sin right by by nature we just when we know that we're living in sin or when we know that we are um dirty or or kind of like how the new or the old testament portrayed it when we know that we're naked right when adam and eve first sinned and they just ran away from god because they realized they were naked right when we know that we're like that we tend to separate ourselves from God, right? We tend to be the ones to distance ourselves from God because sin and God is like oil and water. The two do not mix and it actually really repels one another. So that becomes a very dangerous thing, then, when we allow ourselves to be susceptible to those temptations that ultimately separate us from God, right? Because again, we'll come here to church because we have to as our you know Christian duties, right? We'll read our Bibles because we we should, right? It's the right thing to do. We'll even pray, right? But our life, right? The actual motivation to change our lives, to change our hearts and change the way that we view the world through Christ's lens is just not there. And that becomes really damaging to us. So let's finish off this scripture here. The Bible says, so you may eat any meat. This is verse 25. You may eat any meat that is sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This just references a whole host of foods that back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were instructed not to eat. Verse 27 says, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. But suppose someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol. Don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscience for you, but it is for the other person. For why would my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned for eating it? And then verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me, I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Guys, in everything that we do, right? Everything that we do, we have to give glory to God, right? And that's a really, I think, easy standard to live by because all you do is you ask yourself before you do anything, right? Anything that you're unsure about. Like ask yourself, does this does this give glory to God in any way or how does God get glory from from me doing this, right? And if you can't come up with an answer, usually it's like maybe that it just doesn't give glory to God. Right. And I'm not talking about like eating dinner. Right. I'm talking about like major decisions that you make, whether it means following a certain crowd or, you know, saying something to your parents. Right. Like d- thinking about right. Being conscious about like how you operate, how you move, how you think, how you speak. Right. And and figuring out whether or not this is something that gives glory to God. Right. Because The Israelites, although they were covered, although they had the hand of God over them, there were a lot of people, the Bible says, many of them, most of them, the Bible says, that God was not pleased with, right? And we just don't want to be in that category of people. We don't want all these things that we're doing to be in vain. We don't want coming to church to be in vain. We don't want our prayers to be in vain, right? And and I say that because when our hearts are not truly turned to God, when they're not truly turned to Christ, then it becomes very difficult to assess whether or not what you're doing is truly because you love the maker and you want to be close to him and you want eternal fellowship with him or if you're just trying to rid yourself of all of the punishments that come from not being with god right and i think that i think that it's a lot better to be in the position where you know god right where you walk with God where God changes your heart, he changes your life, he changes the decisions you make, right? Although it's difficult, right? He just changes you from the inside out. And at one point, it seems like it will be difficult because you weren't living for God, you weren't praying like you were supposed to, you weren't reading like you were supposed to. And so your flesh found it very difficult, right, to do the things of God. But as you continue to exercise your faith, as you continue to to just like commune with God, right? And I mean like really taking the time to get to know God, right, taking the time to get to know his word, taking the time to know like what makes him upset, being sensitive, right, to God's heart and and to the things that God has called you to. The more you take the time to invest in those things, guys, the better it is for you and the better it is for your walk, the better it is for your life, right? Social media is just not going to do it for you, right? It's there, it gives you temporary satisfaction, it gives you something to do, right? It gives you something to engage in, but then after that you walk away having gained not much, right? And a lot of people find that when they go on social media or when they engage with a lot of these types of apps, right? They walk away actually feeling worse than they did when they originally, like, went on it, right? So a lot of people are depressed because they'll compare themselves to everybody who's posting the best versions of themselves on social media, right? Nobody's posting about their bad day. Nobody's posting about getting an F. Nobody's posting about a divorce, right? Everybody's posting about all the incredible things that have happened in their life, which kind of creates this like distorted idea that those people maybe have a perfect life, right? But it's just not true, right? Like perfection comes when we go to God, right? In his word and we allow him to do the work in us, right? When we allow him to change us from the inside out, he becomes the standard and he's the standard that we live by because we know that in doing so, it just yields so much better rewards And as a result, in the long run, we won't find ourselves being like the Israelites who moved with Moses, who moved under the hand of God, and yet still didn't make it to the promised land, or yet still were scattered all over the world, or yet still were dead because God was not pleased with their life, right? I don't want that to be our portion. I know it's not easy, especially being as young as you guys are, but coming to church means hearing these types of messages and then going out and applying it, right? Not just just hearing it and then going home and then engaging in the same habits, right, that keep you guys separated from God. No, it means going home, maybe having a conversation with God and saying, Lord, I thank you for the word that came today. I just pray that you start doing the work in me or God just help me. Slowly but surely, guys, slowly but surely, God will do it. And then as you see yourselves like interacting with people, maybe when you go to school, maybe even with your parents, right? You just pray to God to help you in those interactions because you will see the fruit being um, bared in those situations. You will see how God will move in you and through you and make you a blessing to everybody that you come in contact with, right? You're not too young for it now. And God ultimately does have a plan and a purpose for your life in doing so. But all of those things start now, right? All of those habits that you need to cultivate to get you to where God has planned for your life starts now. And you cannot allow yourself to just become a victim, right? To everything that social media tries to throw on you or everything that culture tries to throw on you when you go to school, right? don't don 't follow that peer pressure, right? Be set apart, come out and be ye separate, right. Let God use you in tremendous ways, and don't be afraid right to be different don't be afraid to stand out amongst the crowd and especially amongst you know people at school who might be living a completely different life, a wayward life right. I know we all um, all want to be accepted, and we all want to be. Loved, and we want people to like us. And we want people to applaud us. And, and we, we want so much from this world, guys. But all of that is fading. All of that is fading away. And the only thing that will stand, the only thing that we should really hold value to is our relationship with God. So I want you guys to be encouraged this afternoon. And I want you guys to walk away with something that you can apply this week, right, something, whether it's just making that simple, like, supplication to God and praying for God to, to help you to really evaluate and assess your life, like, God, like, are you pleased with me? Are, are you pleased in, in the way I live my life? Are you pleased in the decisions I make? Are you pleased in how I talk to my parents? Are you pleased, right? And then asking yourself the question, like, God, how do you get glory from the things that I do? God, I'm getting ready to talk to my friend, right? How are you going to get glory from this, right? Because all you're doing is, if all you're doing is gossiping, maybe about somebody, right? Then God can't get glory from that, right? In fact, that's going to disappoint God even more. So some practical things that you can take with you, questions to ask yourself as you're going through this life and as this journey as a young believer to help you guys become stronger. Amen? Let's pray. I want you guys to just commit yourself in God's hands. Thank God for the word that came. And just ask God to help you, right? Because we all need help in this walk. Ask God to help you. We are so blessed in that we have the opportunity to come to church and to fellowship like this every Sunday, to hear the word, to have the word accessible to us in our Bibles, even on our phones. Like we're so lucky and we're so blessed to have all these resources, right, around us. But the Bible makes it clear that that's not the sure guarantee for our salvation, right? Simply having these things or having access to these things is not what's gonna guarantee us a spot in heaven, right? It's a heart issue. It's a matter of our hearts. It's a matter of how we live our lives, how obedient we are to our God, right? And how we exercise our faith on a daily basis. So ask God to help you in doing that. Right now, it may be a little bit hard because you're not used to it. You haven't flexed those spiritual muscles to be able to rid yourself of the temptations that come. But ask God to help you and ask God to help give you the desire and the zeal and the passion to get to know him and to pursue him. Because as you walk this journey and you, you really get to know who our, our father is and our maker is, he really does kind of motivate you to change, to want to change, because you realize that living in him and then truly living in him is just so much better. It's so much more satisfying than anything that the world can offer. So just just pray that prayer and ask God to help you, that God would just open up your heart and open up your spirit to him, right? And that he would help you to be disciplined in being faithful and, and walking a life that is pleasing to him, a life that he can take glory out of. Ask God to help you whenever you're dealing with temptations, be it sexual immorality or idolatry, right? You want God to help expose those areas in your life where you fall short and to really help you to just come out of that. Just pray and ask that God will help you to be an example, right? That you wouldn't be a bad representation of the faith, that people wouldn't see you as a Christian but then be confused by the way that you live your life. Like, ask God to just make everything like one, right? The way you live your life, the title that you wear as a believer. And ask God to use you as a light to help those who may be struggling, those who may not know God. Like, ask God to help you be that person that they will look to and understand who God is. And so, Father, we thank you again for a time like this. We thank you, God, for the word and the message and the reminders, the encouragement, Father Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the opportunity to come here and to hear your word, oh God. And we pray and ask that you help us, Lord, to keep all of that information in our hearts, oh Lord. Help us to apply it in our lives, oh God. Use us as as vessels, Father God, for those who might be struggling but help us first, Lord, to just come on our feet, O God, to be able to live a life that is pleasing to you, a life that um, is not contrary, O Lord, to to the things of this world, O Lord. I pray and ask, O God, that you, you help us, Father God, to walk in you, O Lord, and ask that even when we find ourselves struggling, even when we find that we have fallen, O God, that you will give us the strength, oh God, to turn to you, to reach out to you, Father Lord God, um, to just help us. We ask, oh God, just committing our family and our friends and anybody else, Father God, who might be struggling in their faith, O oh God, into your hands. And we ask, oh God, that you would help them as well as your as how you're helping us, Father Lord God, to be able to keep their sights on you in a time like this, O oh Lord, in a time where there are so many distractions, oh Lord. We pray and ask that you will give us, O Lord, the direction to help keep our sights on you. We thank you, Father God, because we know that the work that you have started in us, you will bring to full completion. We just pray that you help us, Father God, keep the faith, O Lord, and just live it, exemplify it in our day-to-day lives. We commit the rest of the service in your hands and ask, O God, that when we leave here, we'll leave with the knowledge, O Lord, that you want us to keep in our hearts, O God, so that we may walk with it, O Lord, and that we may apply it in a way, O God, that will be a blessing to us and be a blessing to the people around us. We thank you again. We give you the praise, the honor, and the admiration. In Jesus' name we pray. amen. Amen. Amen.